My name is Jim Derrick, and welcome to another edition of Chapters. Today we're going to focus on the subject of mental health and mental illness. And it's a subject that uh, many find difficult to talk about, which is one of the reasons why mental illness and the rates of suicide and depression are just skyrocketing uh, as people suffer in silence. And uh, one of the goals of today's show is to have a candid and open conversation about the subject and with the goal of maybe helping parents or children or loved ones of those that may be suffering to have this conversation and be able to either ask for help or uh, speak to people that can empathize with them. And in studio today, we have a courageous, I'll call him a young man because you're a lot younger than I am, (laughs) person who is living with mental illness, Will Oberg. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Good to be here, Jim. Well, it's good to, good to see you, Will. Um, your story is so compelling. Uh, I got to know Will several years ago, actually. But recently you shared with me that you are living with schizophrenia. That I am. Yeah. Tell me about when you first realized that you were schizophrenic. Uh, well, I noticed something was different at conception. Mm-hmm. And most people think it's hard to, uh, to believe that somebody can have a memory that long ago. Right. Uh, but my first memory was hearing a woman's voice say, you're born at an interesting time. Yeah. I said, wait a minute, I'm born already? Yeah. She said, no, you're conceived, and that's more or less the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so from the get-go, I knew that something was different and something was special yeah. about me. Yeah. And as a child, uh, do you do you have memories back to being a toddler and, and, and struggling? I do, yes. Uh, I remember driving up the hill to my house one day. Yeah. I was maybe about two years old or so. Yeah, I assume you uh, weren't driving. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I was going to say, wow. Yeah, <laughs> early, uh, early starter. Early starter, yeah. And I heard uh, what sounded like a domestic dispute between two people. Uh, uh, This is so some of the symptoms of schizophrenia. Let me preface this Mm -hmm. are auditory hallucination Mm -hmm. and thought broadcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I lumped those up into ESP. Mm -hmm. It sounds better to me. It feels better to me. Yeah. Uh, So I heard these voices and, uh, you know, it it made me on edge a little bit, I guess you'd call it. I bet. Uh, and I thought, you know, if I try and articulate this, I'll be on meds my whole life. And this was at a, as a toddler. As a toddler, yeah. 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 And, and did your parents notice uh, problems with you as a, as a child? When no, I say they problems, didn't. Did they notice your disorder? No. They didn't? No. Interesting. Yeah. Um, let's talk, let's back up a little bit, Will. Uh, sure. And talk a little bit about schizophrenia itself as an illness. Yeah. Um, uh, talk to me about what is schizophrenia and how many people have it. How's it treated? Sure. One in 100 people, excuse me, have schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a disease that doctors don't really know what it is, but they know the symptoms that are involved with it. Right. So as I mentioned, thought broadcast and uh, auditory. auditory hallucinations. Yeah. 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 Um, there's a rarer than auditory hallucinations or visual hallucinations, mm-hmm. uh, as well as delusions of grandeur, mm-hmm. or as I call it, grandeur. Right. Uh, self-harm can be a symptom. And uh, believing that you're being followed or tracked, surveilled. Uh, is that what they call paranoid schizophrenia? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and schizophrenia is defined as a split from reality. Yeah. A lot of people think that it's multiple personality di- disorder, mm-hmm. uh, but that's something separate. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Will, does it coexist with other mental illness uh, sure disorders can. like depression or bipolar or things like that? Correct. Yeah. When when it combines with bipolar, they call it schizoaffective affective disorder. Right. Um, right. And what are the symptoms of what is schiz- makes schizoaffective different than schizophrenia? Uh, you get manic uh, when you have schizoaffective disorder or bipolar. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that is, I know less about it. It's not my experience. Sure. Uh, 
Uh, but the idea is that you have extreme highs and extreme lows. Can you talk to us about what your treatment protocol is right now for schizophrenia? Sure, yeah. I'm on clozapine, Abilify, and Lexapro. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I take those nightly. They knock me out pretty hard. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I don't like about it is that my dream life is much less active. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over the past five years since I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, I've forgotten to take my meds three times, Mm -hmm. which is pretty good compliance rate. I'll say, um, yeah. And and you said, were you diagnosed five years ago? Yeah, okay. just about. Yeah. Really? So it took that long to be diagnosed? Correct. Yeah, I had symptoms beforehand. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I have a, a lobster boat, a wooden lobster boat, to preface the story, sure. uh, built in 1940 originally. Uh, and I kept it by the Navy Yard. And so I, I feel that I forged an ESP connection with some of the people yeah. on the Navy Yard. Um, so... That leads into one of the symptoms where you feel you're being followed by uh, military personnel or you're being watched by somebody. I actually was, um, which makes me feel at times that I don't have schizophrenia, but I have the symptoms of a schizophrenia. I see what you mean. Because of the proximity of your boat, right? and we're going to talk a lot more about that project in a bit, uh, because of the proximity of that to the Navy Yard, Mm -hmm. you literally were being watched. Right. But your mind took it to a different level, and then that's confusing for you. Right. Very confusing. Well, wow. So, Will, let's back up just a little bit, and thank sure. you, by the way, for all of this. Um, oh, my pleasure. As, as, a, as a child, you're growing up, and you're, did your parents notice anything, a mood disorder, anything at all? No. No. Uh, so, in early childhood memory, yeah. uh, if we want to go down that, that rabbit hole, I had a, my mom was exposed to a drug called ribovirin. Oh, sure. I believe it is. Yeah. Uh, which... And uh, as a pregnant woman can result in a craniofacial malformation in their uh, unborn child. Right. So to mitigate that, when I was four months old, I had a craniotomy, Mm -hmm. which is where they cut your scalp open uh, and take a Dremel tool to cut out pieces of your skull. Mm -hmm. They've evolved since, since, uh, let's see, 20, 21, 20, 30 years ago. Yep, yep. Um, Now they just do little slits in the bone um, for... To, to mitigate that problem. But I, you know, I remember that. The trauma stands out. Sure. Um, and I remember them cutting through my scalp and thinking, all right, this is scary. Serious stuff. Yeah. yeah. And then they cut through my uh, skull with a Dremel tool. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my God, this is terrifying. Game time, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and so this is a traumatic experience that you have. Definitely, yeah. Do you think that environmental exposure that she had to that medication might have um, impacted and, and caused maybe... Your illness? Uh, I don't. Uh, Because of that, you know, conception memory, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I feel I've had symptoms since then. I see. I Um, see. So very much a genetic or, you know, born with type of thing. Right. Um, And so you have this traumatic experience. Right. And that's kind of a triggering event, right? Mm. Right. Um, And uh, you go on and you live, you're living as a, I'm trying to imagine growing up, and you were mentioning auditory hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a very, very young toddler. Yeah, it was rare, but well, there were certain instances where that's definitely what it was. I'm trying to imagine how you would feel. Nervous. Nervous, right? Yeah. Alienated from others. And at times, yeah. Yeah. Did you make friends as I a did. young person? Yeah. yeah. Very outgoing. Yeah. Um, so you didn't have a problem in the, in the social no. Area. Yeah. You know, oftentimes you'll see kids that are sitting alone or in school cafeterias. I mean, you weren't that kid. No. Yeah. I was outgoing. Yeah. Still am. So, yeah. You sure are. So, I mean, so here's the perfect storm. You have these auditory hallucinations. You have signs and symptoms of schizophrenia and you're outgoing and happy. 
Mm. So who's going to pick not, up on anything? Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. You can, you know, there's a, a saying I heard from a football player. I didn't catch his name. Yeah, he says that I'm mentally ill, not mentally weak, uh, and that kind of speaks wow. to this. Yeah, this idea a bit. I think. You know, that's that's a really thanks for sharing that. Mentally yeah. ill, not mentally weak. Right. And and the reason why we're talking about this today, and Will, you're so courageous, Thank um, you. and and so easy to talk to. Uh, is that we're trying to destigmatize, and this is part of a what hopefully will become an ongoing conversation with Will and others about mental illness, to allow people to talk about this, understand that it's okay to talk about, use Will as a charismatic frontman, if you will, for this, for as a spokesperson for it, because the fact of the matter is, you said one in one hundred people right suffer from symptoms of schizophrenia. The numbers go up from there because we have more and more mental illness to, to pick from. On the menu, you've got bipolar, you've got you know depression, you've got clinical depression, ang- generalized anxiety disorder. We could go on and on and on, right. mood disorders. So most of us, at one time in our lives, suffer from some sort of what could be classified or diagnosed as mental illness mm. or mental disorder. Sure, The brain is an amazingly complex organ. So what we're doing today is we're talking openly about this subject to give people a window in to what it's like to have schizophrenia, to have them know that it's okay to talk about it, and importantly, if if you're suffering, to know that it's okay for you to talk about it with and loved ones and others. okay to ask for help, too. There you go. If there you go. feel overwhelmed, reach out to somebody. You know, the hospital's not, it's not my favorite place to be, but sometimes you need to be there. Mm. Um, and well, going back to your to your childhood, when sure. when was the first time that your parents or somebody or you raised your hand and there was an intervention? It was about five years ago. Really? So twenty six years old, more or less. Yeah, I'd had my boat at the Navy Yard by the Navy Yard for maybe five years at the time, more or less. Um, so all these, you know, call them delusions. I call them ESP uh, relationship with the Navy, and uh, you know. One of the things I heard was, what do you want? And I thought, help. I want help on my boat. Uh, and within weeks, three, one British Navy, uh, one Army, and one Army uh, guy from peacetime uh, came into my life uh, to help me with my boat in various ways. So now you're, once again, are these delusions? Right. Yeah. <laughs> or, or is this just life, right? Right. Interesting. So what did the intervention look like? What happened? I was at my friend Tyler's house with Ben, uh, the juice guy, and I just wasn't in a good mental spot. Mm. Um, so they called my dad and said, you know, the Will's out of sorts. He uh, He's not responding to logic, maybe. At the time, I believed a lot of things that weren't true. Yeah. I believed I was going to be a million years old until I died um, and that it was going to be a rough million years. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, so I went to the hospital and spent a couple of days in there, um, got on meds. And psych ward. Psych ward, Jane Brown, 5 South, Yeah, uh, where I met a lot of really nice, compassionate, caring uh, mental health workers and doctors um, that really welcomed me uh, and made me feel like I wasn't out there so much. Um, yeah. yeah, what a story. And, and your courage is somewhat... Honestly, breathtaking. I mean, um, because, listen, it's a serious illness. Right. Uh, um, and, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. It's a serious sure, illness. Yeah. 
I can't imagine living for the first 26 years of your life not knowing, A, you were sick, and B, not having access to treatment. Well, uh, for it's, I tell people it's kind of like watching a movie. Mm-hmm. When you see the trailer to the movie beforehand, mm-hmm. you forget about the trailer until that scene in the movie comes up, and then your memory gets sparked. Oh, this is from the, the trailer, the preview for it. Uh, so it was a long time, about 26 years, 25 years, uh, until the trailer caught up with the movie. Oh, if you follow sense. that. I do. Yeah. I do. I want to remind everybody, we're speaking with Will Oberg. Will is a man living with schizophrenia. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find my podcast at chaptersradio.com. And Will, your story uh, gets even more interesting as you suffer a major car accident. Right. Uh, that is quite literally life-altering. Definitely, that it was. And and when did that accident happen? It was Christmas Eve 2013, about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. 2013. So at this point, you were uh, uh, driving across the bridge. Correct. And which bridge is it? Uh, the Newport Pell Bridge. I was driving towards Jamestown yep. in the far right lane when a truck, I believe it was uh, like a Chevy 2500 or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so not small, but not a semi-truck either, thankfully. Uh, came across four lanes and tagged me uh, almost head on. It was uh, more on the left quadrant of the car. Mm-hmm. But you were seriously injured, yes, to say I the had least. Ten fracture sites. Uh, ankle was pretty well dust. There was a dime that went through my left kneecap and femur. My right kneecap was broken. My femur came out my acetabulum. Each radius and ulna were broken. Uh, my left thumb and my left humerus, yeah. uh, my upper arm were broken. I had two spots of nerve damage. One they called a radial nerve palsy, uh, so I couldn't really open my left hand uh, for a few days. That went away pretty quickly. Uh, and then when my femur came out, my acetabulum, it damaged my peroneal nerve. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you, you have a medical encyclopedic knowledge <laughs> of this. And why would I've you learned after a thing this? Or two, yeah. yeah. And, and this wound you up airlifted. Yeah, I got an ambulance ride to Newport Slots, yeah. and then I got an air... Uh, Airlift to Rhode Island Hospital. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the helicopter laying back. I'm kind of immobilized at this time in the story. And they ask if there was a window I could look out. And the guy says, no. So I says, is that orange light on the inside or the outside of this helicopter? He says, it's on the outside. So I said, so is there a window I can look out? Said, I guess so, kid. And I'm asking, you know, should I try and stay conscious? Is that important? No response. So I th- figured, you know, I'll rest my eyes for a little while. Uh, they wheeled me into the trauma intake unit where there was maybe eight people uh, standing in a row waiting. I said, all right, let's get started. And you're conscious through all this. Oh, yeah. Like, That's how I wanted it. Um, so I say, all right, let's get started. And they say, you know, we have to wait for the doctor. I said, there's 12 of you here or eight of you. <laughs> there's nothing you can be doing. Yeah. Um, and so the doctor finally makes it into the room. Roman Haida, great guy. He did a lot of good work on me. And... Uh, He says, this will be about 12 surgeries. So I spoke up and said, let's get this done in three. Really? And it was three big surgeries, six in total. Yeah. Um, Um, I remember this accident made all the news. The the gentleman had, I believe, a medical event. I believe that was the case. And he crossed the center uh, line and and came into your lane. And as a result of this catastrophic accident and anybody that's driven over those, I mean, there's no out. uh, There's no barrier there. There's nowhere to hide. And here you are. Uh, just driving along, minding your own business, and next thing you know, you are in a fight for your life. And in addition to that, 
once you are going to live, how many months did you spend in rehab? Oh, let's see. It was seven or 11 days in the hospital, 33 days in an acute nursing facility yep. where John Whitney and Carrie Whitney, his wife, were a physical therapy team for me uh, with the kind of no excuses, play like a champion yeah. sort of mentality. <laughs> I love this, yeah. Uh, ironically enough, the mentally ill, when they have a break and have to walk on it and can't stand still, they heal quicker. Really? Yeah. So I <laughs> There's a <laughs> model for therapy. That that's why you're why you came bound in here today. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Um, and then I spent nine months in outpatient rehab doing physical therapy and occupational therapy. Damn near a, a year of your life. Right. Spent, associated with this. Spent about nine months in a hospital bed at home. And you live with pain now? Some pain. You yeah. live with um uh, um a brace? Do you have a brace in your... I do. I have what they call an ankle foot orthotic, yeah. AFO for short. Sure. Uh, so when my femur came out, my acetabulum, it damaged my peroneal nerve, which is responsible uh, down the line for providing dorsiflexion, which is the upward flexion of your right. foot. So drop foot is... Drop foot is the key. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and I'll tell you, Will, beyond... <laughs> that's not the end of the story, folks. <laughs> you, and I'm, I'm chuckling only because, Will, you're an amazing guy. Thank you. You now say, we need, along with your friends, we need a barrier on this bridge. Right. And we're going to make it happen. Talk talk to me about that, that story about how you made that happen. Sure, yeah. I'd like to think we played a role in it. Yeah, well, um, I think you did. Yeah. Based on the news, news coverage, you certainly did. Mm. So we went, my family and I went to the first Bridge and Turnpike board meeting after the accident. And again, the bridge name is? The Newport Pell Bridge. Newport Pell Bridge. Uh, so it was the Rhode Island Bridge and Turnpike Authority. Uh, and we said, you know, this is unsafe. I walked in on platform crutches, hopped mm. in and, you know, gave gave a little speech, talked about kickback zones. I, I'm a woodworker, um, boat builder. And one of the things that you have to be wary of when you're using saws and certain tools is kickback, mm -hmm. which is where if you're on a table saw, say, and you bring the board too far to the left or too far to the right, as opposed to just pushing it straight through. Sure. Uh, the wood can bind against the fence and the saw blade and get thrown at 100 miles into anything that's behind you. Uh, so I analogized their bridge to a kickback zone. Um, How so? Well, there's no place to hide, there one. You go. Things can come at you really fast, there you go. too. So you go to the Turnpike Authority yep. and you talk to them about this kickback zone. And what was their response? Uh, kind of stunned silence, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there you are on platform crutches, right? Telling your story, which is going to be a year in therapy, having almost died on the bridge. Right. The first ride you took in a car, where'd you go? Right back over that bridge. <laughs> There's not much that keeps me down. Do you go alone? I did. Yeah. How did, how did that feel? going across that bridge it was interesting uh so they call the causeway the flat part of the bridge yeah coming from newport mm -hmm. or going towards newport i guess but mm -hmm. that would be you know the latter half versus the former half depending on which way you're going mm -hmm. and i thought you know all right exactly where about would this truck be coming and yeah. where would exactly would my car be and how far would the sonic boom that we created emanate out right right all of those logistics that, and you have this incredibly detailed memory of exactly what happened, and you know exactly what you were doing, and keeping your eyes open, and trying to make eye contact, and then you're recreating. I can only imagine you're recreating. Was the anxiety peaked? I mean, when you went over that bridge, were you not really? Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Just amazing. But what a, what an awesome symbol of the type of person you are. Thank you. Because I mean, really, uh, it's um. A lot of people talk a good game, but for somebody to actually go and tackle that, 
it's resilience in a can. I mean, mm-hmm. that's resilience. But there's much more to this story. Here you are living with schizophrenia. Yep. You're relatively newly diagnosed. Mm-hmm. You're now in therapy, you know, yep. which you're going to be in for life due to these injuries. Right. And, um, well, I'll tell you, you're one of the easiest people to talk to. You've got a friendly demeanor, Thank happy you. smile, and here's my point. I don't hear one ounce of I'm a victim from you, ever. I'm not. You know, I have gifts. That's how I look at it. You do, by the way. Thank you. A huge gift, uh, and many of them, and you're sharing them with us now. But I just hear so many people wrapped up in anger when things like this happen to them, whether it be a diagnosis or a car accident. You've had a lot of things to be angry about and say, right. why me? Well, I have a, a friend, Bobby Forrester. Yes. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Bobby Let's talk Forrester. about Bobby, yeah. Uh, he's uh, an adult about my age, 30, 31, and maybe about five years ago, something mm-hmm. in that time frame, he was diagnosed with ALS. Yeah. Um, and the first time I saw him was at his birthday party, mm-hmm. after his diagnosis, that is. Um, and his arms were kind of limp by his side. And I felt bad for him. I thought, you know, here's this young kid. He's so personable, so outgoing, yeah. such a... You know, a hard worker. We pedicabbed together for a while down in Newport, which is a bike taxi if you're not familiar. And, you know, after after seeing him that day, I went home and thought, and yeah, it doesn't help Bobby, me, or anybody else to feel sorry for him. So I don't. Uh, I meet him where he's at. He's in a, a tough situation, but he's really making the best of it. Yeah. Mm. He really is. And um, <laughs> just the fact that you guys are friends uh, is, I tell you, it, it, I'm not surprised you're friends. Mm. I met Bobby through our mutual friend, Ben, I believe, at a time when they were looking to go to a Red Sox game and I had a connection. I wanted to go out and meet him. Mm. And uh, this is a few years ago and I need to reconnect with him. Um, and again, like you, not an ounce of victimhood did I see. Right. And, and I want to be clear. I'm not talking about people being angry that they're with their disease or feeling sad about their disease or saying, geez, I wish I didn't have this disease. That's not victimhood. Victim, right. Victimhood is saying, why me? Right. Just that pity pot. And, and it's a, and it never helps. Unlike the periodic uh, ups and downs people have when they're faced with life. Right. Vic, victimhood tends to be something you wear and becomes a badge almost. And, right. And it's very self-limiting. And so uh, as a result, people don't, I find that our consider themselves to be victims, don't live very full lives. A perfect example to illustrate the way you live your life is your boat. And I I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about that because this is a project that you quite literally is something that you can look at and say, damn, I'm making progress. Right. You know, it's a tangible thing that you love to do. So tell me about your boat building. Sure. Well, I went to the International Yacht Restoration School down in Newport, Rhode Island at 449 Thames Street. Mm Mm-hmm. And spent two years, maybe 10 years ago, at their wooden boat building and restoration program. Mm -hmm. So first year, you build a Beetle Cat, which is a 12-foot-4 gaff-rigged sailboat, uh, kind of a bathtub of a thing, uh, meant to be a beginner sailboat uh, for newbies. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was the first year project. Second year was, for me, a Quincy Adams Mm 12.5, which is a Herrsoft boat uh, designed... Uh, augmented, I should say, by Quincy Adams. And that means that instead of being all cedar planking, it's mahogany planking, uh, which is a little bit more difficult to work with uh, because of the way the growth happens in the tree. Uh, So that was um, my second year project, which was a great, you know, it was all a great educational uh, thing. I really loved all my time there. 
and I went there with the idea to find a boat worth fixing and to learn the skills to fix it. So with about a month left of school and my second year in the program, my teacher Warren Barker came up to me and said, I've got the perfect boat for you. I don't know why I didn't think of it sooner. I thought, all right, I'll buy it. And so I reached out to this woman, Anne, uh, who is the uh, the owner of the boat. Yeah, yeah. And said, you know, I'd like to buy it. I'd like to come up to see it. And um, sure enough, I went up and then loved what I saw. I put my hands on the steering wheel and thought, this is the boat for me. Yeah. Um, so I learned some of the propaganda that came with the boat. And, and what is the boat? Okay. It's a, a 1940 32-foot Balzer Jonesport deck cabin cruiser, they call it. Yeah, I've seen a picture of it. I mean, it, it's a beast. Yeah. It's a big boat. It and, is. And it's sitting, and it's in your yard? It's in my backyard, yeah. 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 And so you've got this 1940. Correct. 32-foot vessel in your backyard. Right, lobster yacht, yeah, as you could call but it. But it needs a complete renovation. Yeah, I've put in maybe 3,000 hours yeah. so far, most of the time at, at Jim Titus's shop over by the Navy Yard. And he yeah. was he made that project as possible as I made that project. Really? Yeah, he donated me wood that he wasn't using, and he let me have the run of his shop. And, yeah, he was always there to welcome advice. And What is it about boat building that makes makes you quite literally almost lose yourself in it, like, yeah. like any great hobby? Uh like any great craft. Sure. I think that there's always going to be something to learn yeah. is what entices me most about it, uh, that mental stimulation. Um, and and the, the amazing thing to me is you're going to make this thing float. God willing, and I, yeah. And I, God willing <laughs> is right because I'll tell you what, I look at a project like that and I think that's going straight to the bottom if I'm involved. <laughs> I mean, and and uh, so when do you anticipate completing this thing? I'm hoping sometime in the maybe mid to late summer yeah. next year. And the exciting news is you are a hopeful candidate for school. I am, yeah. I'm entertaining the idea of going back to IRIS, the International Yacht Restoration School, IYRS, for their uh, marine systems program, which covers uh, gas, diesel, uh, steering components, hydraulics, I believe, yeah. and electrics. Yeah. Uh, so I want to learn, you know, now that I've learned the wooden aspect of the boat, to learn all the systems aspect of the boat. Plumbing is another one. I mean, to, to watch you talk about this, you, you just come alive yeah. the, the minute you mention your boat. And you couldn't wait to show me pictures of it. And you've yeah. got an encyclopedic of knowledge. Love. Yeah, I can tell. And um, I think it's an important illustration of the fact that people do have mental illness. They do have treatment for mental illness they do talk about it and they live it's not like you have you don't define yourself it appears by any type of illness or no. disability no um quite the contrary mm. am i would that I be think fair that's fair yeah yeah i mean i don't see you walking around saying i've got this label so i'm going to live into whatever i think i'm supposed to live into i think is what yeah. i'm saying you know i've had people with cancer on the program uh, different types of uh a chronic illness, which is what we're talking about here, chronic illness. Mm. And the resilient people, the people that go on and do things, are not people that say, I'm defined by this. You know, they're not wearing it, um, if you will, uh, sure. as as their self-limiting belief. Um, I want to remind people, we're speaking with Will Olberg. Will is a courageous friend of mine who has been diagnosed with schizophrenia. In addition to that, he has had a major car accident. But most importantly, he's living life and living it with gusto and using his experience to help us destigmatize what has often been a subject that is taboo to talk about, and that is mental illness. And the sad fact is, Will, that we are watching the statistics of teenage suicide 
creep off the charts yeah. and increase, uh, you know, over and over uh, in the United States of America. And I personally believe a lot of that is because of uh, stigma. Sure. And because people don't know how to ask for help. And that's a big part of your message today is ask for help. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you need it, if you feel like you might need it, right. ask. You'll be glad you did. One of the things Will uh, has generously uh, given to me uh, to give to you is his email address. And he would love to hear from you if you're a parent of somebody who uh, that has a concern, uh, if you're a person themselves that is concerned about themselves, or you just want some more information, or you'd like to talk about Will's boat. Uh, or any of the subjects we've talked about, it's W underscore Oberg, O-B-E-R-G, at yahoo.com. And uh, Will is making himself available to start a conversation, and I highly recommend it. Um, maybe you have uh, a group that you'd like Will to come out and talk to. Like, and I, I really think it helps Will for the eye-to-eye contact mm. of someone like yourself. Uh, with uh, young people to let them know it's okay to ask for help. And by the way, it's not just about mental illness. It's no. about all of life's challenges, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, we, we're faced with a lot in life. Hey, Will, I want to kind of go back a little bit and talk about your uh, your personal life, um, particularly your relationship with your folks. Yeah, I Tell, have a great relationship with my folks. Yeah. Tell um, me about that. So every, every single day that I was in Jane Brown 5 South, the psych ward, they would come visit, often bringing food, uh, or books to read, um, and that was that was huge for me. Uh, so if you can be involved with your kid or with your parent that needs help, uh, it really can make a big difference. Yeah. Uh, the mental health workers there would say, "Oh, he just lights up. It's the highlight of his old day yeah. when my folks and my sister come in, Liz, um, and read Mark Twain to me." Oh, you wonderful! Know? Yeah. yeah, and you have a great relationship with your dad, don't you? I do, and he yeah. helps you with this boat. He does. He's yeah. a, a big motivating factor for me. Tell me. Uh, kind of one of the symptoms of schizophrenia is that uh, getting started on something can be hard. Yeah, sure. Um, and so my dad will say, you know, the night before, Will, are you looking to do work on your boat tomorrow? The weather looks good. And I'll think, yeah, I could get up around noon. So he gets up around 8 or 9, probably before that. He's a light sleeper. And he'll get all the epoxy out yeah. and put it in the sunlight so it starts warming up or... Yeah. You know, just getting the, the bench set up uh, to do work at. So he's really eager. Um, and that's a, a big motivating factor for me to get up out of bed and to do this work that might not always be the most appealing. Yeah, right. Um, or right. it might not feel like doing it. But once you start, you know, starting things, I think Gertrude said um, that beginning things has a great magic in it. And, and so your dad has become... A real good friend of yours. He has, yeah. And companion. We have, we have very candid conversations yeah. and you know, he we don't see eye to eye on everything about, you know, schizophrenia and whether it's thought broadcast or auditory hallucinations. But he loves me, uh, as does all my family. Uh, and that's that's what matters most. So we see differently on, on certain things, but is there a dynamic that happens in families and you can speak from your experience in your family did a dynamic happen where you just mentioned a little bit of a tug and war over uh, some of the symptoms of schizophrenia sure was there was there some struggles well relative to how you should be treated what what meds you should take when you should take them what you were experiencing i don't know if it speaks exactly to the point but it comes to mind yeah uh the prayer of the our father yeah uh, my dad had trouble with that prayer, yes, especially the part that I will be done, uh, because you know some hard things happen to me, right? Um, and so to have a God that would allow that, my dad had a problem with, right? For a while, 
I think he's come to terms with it. Yeah. Uh, we had a pilgrimage to Italy in September. Yeah, the two of you. Yeah. Um, which was great. We visited Padre Pio, who's a modern day saint's, his stomping grounds. And my dad kind of came to peace with the idea that uh, if I go on long walks or do something that requires more stamina, that I'm going to feel it physically. Um, and for a while, you know, pain-wise, for a while my dad, you know, that didn't sit well with him. Yeah. But it was on this trip that he kind of came to peace with it. Yeah, he's thinking, I think hey, long after I came to peace with it. It's so on that trip. Kind of speaking of God and the Our Father, I've gotten to meet God on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, always a powerful experience. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. Uh, and the first time that comes to mind was God gave me the option to come into one of four lives, mm-hmm. call it. Could be five, mm-hmm. could be three. And... Um, I said, I don't even need to look at them. Just tell me the one that's going to be the most difficult. Mm-hmm. And he says, this one. I said, great, I'll take that one. Sign me up. He says, why did you choose that? I said, I've, I've experienced hard times before, you know, challenges, and I always have grown from them. So I figure if there's a life filled with challenges, that, oper- that gives me more opportunity to grow from them and become a, maybe a more complete or more well-rounded, more compassionate person, more patient maybe. From pain, the greatest growth occurs. Yeah. I, I haven't met any... It can any... be physical. It can be mental. I have a question for you. It's a tough sure. question to ask. When you say you visited, you were, you've met God. Right. Hallucination, delusion, truth. How do you separate? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'd say that it's my experience. Yeah. And whether it's true or not, it's changed me. That might be the best answer to a question I've ever had. <laughs> it's my experience. Yeah. Well, do you feel in your life right now that mm-hmm. you are accepted? I do. As you are? Yeah. Tell me about that. Uh, well, a quote comes to mind that uh, a former coworker and instructor as a kayak, young kayaker, his name is Billy, he said, you know, if you're afraid of something on the water, go at it as fast as you can. So it will be over as done and done with as quickly as it can be. See if I've got this right. That your transparency, Mm -hmm. honesty, and communicating to others about your illness Mm -hmm. has allowed you to go at it fast and hard. Right. Get that part of the conversation out of the way and then move on to Will Oberg. Right. Yeah, there's more to me than schizophrenia. Thank you. And that applies to so much of us in life in general. That's not just Will so that brings to mind another little story where I used to pedicab in Newport, which is the bike taxi. Yeah. I, uh, at one point, I was at Bowen's Wharf, Bannister's Wharf, one of the two. Yeah. I always get them confused. And wanted somebody wanted to ride up to the Hotel Viking, which yes. was straight uphill. I know it well. Uh, and, and, you know, if you were coming from O'Brien's, you'd have a hill, then a flat section, then a hill. So you get a break in the middle. Uh, but from the Bannister's Wharf or Bowen's Wharf, you don't get a break. It's just straight uphill the whole time. And there was a couple that said, you know, we'd like to go to the Hotel Viking, but we don't think you can do it. I thought, I think I can. I think that's enough. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So the moral of the story is, you know, I did that ride. I brought them up there. It was difficult, but I don't let people sell me short. If I think I can do something, I'm going to try my best to do it. If I fail, I fail, but that's probably less likely than succeeding. Yeah. You know, Will, I have to tell you, you are uh, equal parts uh, inspirational, funny, intelligent, 
and um, just a good guy. And I, I'm so glad Thank that, you. that that I've met you because I'll tell you, you uh, you know, you're living proof that people don't have to limit themselves with self-limiting beliefs. Right. I did a lot of limits there, but you just illustrated it perfectly. So when we're talking about mental illness, if you or someone you love is suffering, please raise your hand, ask for help, talk to people, get with people like Will who can empathize, understand, and lead you in a direction that will get you treatment and get you back to living your life. Will's email address is w underscore oberg, O-B-E-R-G, at yahoo.com. He'd be pleased to hear from you. So, Will, I want to thank you again for coming in. Thanks for having me. It's a a subject near and dear to my heart, as I'm sure you can tell. Uh, So to be able to get some message out, I think will hopefully be helpful for at least somebody. So for my guest, Will Oldberg, my name's Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters Radio, and we will see you next week.